to the History of the Barbarians podcast, episode 29, Kingdom Come. Last time we left off, we saw Ethelwolf lead the Visigoths out of Italy and ultimately into southern Gaul and northern Hispania, where he was eventually assassinated while inspecting the horses at the palace stables. This week, we're going to look at the years after the death of Ethelwolf in 415 till the establishment in Gaul of what would become known as the Visigothic Kingdom. First, I want to clarify one item from last week. I said that Saurus and about a thousand of his loyal warriors were ambushed by the Visigoths in 412. That may not have been exactly true. Some of the sources are pretty vague, and one even says just 18 loyal warriors. I'm not sure I got a thousand, but it is probably much less. I wanted to clear that up before we move on. Sorry. Anyways, last time, Atawulf was assassinated, probably by a supporter of Saurus, and then was replaced in a palace coup sort of thing by Saurus's brother, Sigaric, who was then assassinated himself a week later. In the week-long reign of Sigaric, he was able to execute most of Atawulf's immediate family, including the children he had from his first wife. After the death of Sigaric, a relative of some sort named Valia is named Reek of the Visigoths and takes over a very difficult situation. The Visigoths were still in dire circumstances in regards to their ongoing war with Rome. As Constantius and his troops get the better of the Goths, hunger and supplies begin to become a serious problem. As you remember in the last episode, Constantius essentially blockades and cuts off southern Gaul where the Goths were and forces them into primarily northern Hispania around Barcelona. The Goths then begin to move around Spain in search of supplies and food through the Vandal and Roman controlled areas. A plan was developed as they approached the southern coast of the Mediterranean Sea with the goal of sailing to Africa. Ultimately, the first contingent of ships would perish in a storm, and the threat of more weather and Roman ships would discourage the rest of the party to attempt their voyage. So, once again spurred by the sea, the Visigoths turned to another method to solve their problems. Like many times before, they would be forced to rely on the Romans. So the Visigoths could not run away from the Romans, and the latter did not or could not destroy the former, so the Visigoths and Romans agreed to another alliance in 416 that included the return of Gala Placidia back to her older half-brother, Emperor Honorius, in addition to supplies for the Visigoths. Gala Placidia would in fact marry the Roman general that was key to forcing this agreement and a future emperor, Constantius, in 417. They would go on to give birth to a daughter and then a son, who would eventually become the Emperor Valentinian III. It should be noted that wherever you read about this wedding, Gala Placidia seems to have been forced to marry against her will. She seemed to have really been in love with Otowulf, actually, and perhaps she, she just might have been tired of being used as a pawn, which basically has been happening for about a decade now. But both Constantius and Gala Placidia will be in our story again. And it is the Mrs. that will have a bigger role in many ways, as she will figure prominently when we get to the Huns in a couple of episodes. As part of the agreement, 
The barbarians would need to attack contingents of the Vandals in Hispania. In exchange, they would receive 600,000 moldi of grain and another 15,000 when they begin the campaign. Which, if my conversions are correct, that is about 150,000 bushels and almost 4,000 bushels of grain for the hungry Goths. The Goths would be directed to fight in Hispania against the Vandals and Alans and force the barbarians who had pledged loyalty to the usurper Maximus, which, in a bit of a side here, who is still alive at this time, even though Gerontius is actually dead, the general who propped him up. But the Goths would force these barbarians back into the Roman fold for Ravenna. So Valia and his troops attack the barbarian positions in Hispania. Again, first with the barbarians who seem to not have remained loyal to the empire, with the Salingi vandals and the Alans. Now, the complicated political situation in Hispania at this time is, is frankly ridiculous. Now, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but basically the Romans at this moment saw the Alans and the Salingi vandals as far more of a problem than the Sueve in the West and as Dingi vandals. And I've included some maps of where these folks are in modern-day Spain, in the Hispania province, on the Facebook page, and I'll push some out on Twitter as well, or some other images associated with this episode. The Visigoths would defeat and destroy the Salingi vandals in Hispania, forcing them to pledge loyalty to the Asdingi vandals. The Goths' military campaign of 418 forced the Alans to submit to the Asdingi Vandals, creating the kingdom of the Vandals and Alans under Gundrik, of which we will circle back to this moment later on in our podcast. Their defeat, or the establishment of loyal troops in Hispania, possibly through the subjugation of the Vandals and Alans, enabled the Romans to then settle our Visigoths in southern Gaul in the province of Gala Aquitaine with lands of their own in 418. It is interesting to note that the Goths seem to have had the upper hand in Hispania against the other barbarians. There is speculation that the Romans called them back before the Visigoths became too strong themselves and before they completely destroyed all the barbarian armies, who Rome would like to be stationed as Roman troops in Hispania, enforcing Roman bidding. What we do know about this settlement of the Visigoths in southern Gaul is somewhat sparse, but we can piece together bits here and there that weren't necessarily recorded for history by actions later on. In addition to the lands of southern Gaul, or a portion of southern Gaul, it is reported that the Visigoths sent high-ranking hostages to the court of the Romans as a part of the agreement. The Visigoths would obviously be a part of the fighting force of the Roman army, and they will continue in this role well into the 420s. The area of settlement in Gaul will be the area between Toulouse and Bordeaux, which is called the Garonne Valley. And I am taking a stab at those pronunciations, so let me know if you feel I'm a bit off. A small swath of the Atlantic Ocean coastline would be included, but the Goths would never really make any improvements on their usage of navies even with the access to the sea in the settlement. I've included a map of this on the Facebook page as well. Valia did not achieve the rank of general in the Roman army like he had wanted, but his people were granted lands to control as their own, and that is certainly the most important aspect 
as the Goths had been searching for this piece in the settlement for 40 years. Now, the Goths would bring security and a level of safety to themselves through the settlement that they had sought since entering the empire with Fritigern back in 376 CE. But the fact that they made concessions on those demands, seemingly no annual payments or stipends, no generalship for Valia or other high-ranking Goths, nor citizenship itself for their people, must have been a sacrifice that they felt was worthwhile. In fact, the settlement may have been from the death of Valia and the need for a new treaty or fetus after the death of the leader under the old agreement, because King Valia seems to have just disappeared from the sources in 418. The details of how things would work at the ground level and in the macro sense are a mystery. It appears that the Goths move in and are now responsible for tax collection for the region, with a certain portion required to be allocated to the empire. We don't know if the Roman citizens needed to give property over to the Goths or the new settlers were given abandoned lands, which there were plenty of abandoned lands because surely some of the land was undeveloped or abandoned at the time in addition to victims of the recent war activities of the Vandals, Alans, Sueves, Bretons, Constantine III, Constantius, and the Visigoths. The Romans thought that the Goths could help stabilize the important region of Gaul after the chaos of the previous decades that included problems from the previously mentioned barbarians, rebels, and usurpers. Additionally, we are not sure what this meant for the relationship with Rome. Most historians think that the settlement was a version of hospitalatis, or billeting of troops. In practice, this was not a fetus like previous agreements with Rome. We know that the Goths agreed to campaign in Hispania against the Vandals and Alans in 416 and 417. But that was in exchange for food and did not have anything to do with this agreement in 418, except it just preceded it. We know that some sort of military tax obligation would, would be required by the Romans, but to what degree we can't say exactly. In 451 CE, Valentinian III, who we previously mentioned just a little bit ago, is seen writing letters to Theodoric I of the Visigoths, who we'll meet here in a second, trying to convince him to help the Romans fight the Huns at the Battle of the Catalonian Plains. The Goths would join the fight against Attila the Hun, but it is not clearly a foregone conclusion, or perhaps even required, that they participate, hence the recruitment letters from Valentinian. So it appears that there were laws at this time pertaining to veterans of the army, giving them certain rights and abilities, which may explain a portion of this complex settlement that the Roman Empire settled the Goths by, as if they were veterans of the army after their campaigning against the Vandals and Alans in Spain the previous two fighting seasons. One source I found for this theory was written by a South African named Hageth Savin, who goes on to essentially say that the local population was okay with the settlement of the Goths in southern Gaul because the area was now a frontier of sorts to the barbarians just over the Pyrenees Mountains in Hispania, and the presence of the Goths should protect the local population. This would allow local property owners to not fight the idea of partitioning off a certain part of their property to the new Gothic tax collection system. 
We know that the General Assembly of Southern Gaul was called together in Arles in April 418. As this assembly of the seven southern provinces of Gaul met this summer, the settlement of the Goths was on the agenda. It is here that the groundwork with the native population would have been laid for the next step for the Goths. The settlement of the Goths in this way, from the Roman perspective, seemed fairly good considering the circumstances. The Romans were having difficulty outright defeating the Goths in battle and erasing the army. Additionally, the Roman treasury was not full, and they still had many threats to deal with using limited resources. By settling the Visigoths with land, it would save the imperial court on grain and gold payments, as the Goths would rely on taxes and their own food supplies from their own lands. The Goths, in theory, would be a bulwark against any more external and internal threats to imperial control for the region. The local control would allow the Romans to have a light footprint and therefore a light financial commitment to the region, but still provide a tax base that could pay certain bills for the empire and help to appease Gothic sentiments by giving them their own land. What is most important of this whole discussion is that the Visigoths have finally gotten their piece of Rome that they have always wanted. And more or less, they will have this kingdom within or with outside of Rome's control for the next 300 plus years. King Valia has established a kingdom for the Goths within the Roman Empire, beholden to them in various ways. But the imperial court is established in Toulouse, and there it will remain for almost a hundred years. This is also why many historians call this kingdom the Kingdom of Toulouse. King Valia would be praised and celebrated as the Visigoths, finally achieving what several had tried before, a place for the Goths. Unfortunately, we have no idea what happened to him. He's the king of the Visigoths until 418, then he isn't, and someone else takes over. But the legacy of King Valia does live on. He is celebrated as the first king of the kingdom of the Visigoths, and even today has statues of his likeness in Spain. King Valia is the supposed inspiration for the famous European tale of the legendary figure Walter of Aquitaine. In various legends, Walter, or Valder, has adventures throughout Europe and exists in many cultures, including several languages, such as Latin, Old English, and German. Most of these legends include some sort of version where a young man, Walter or Voldaire or something like it, is somehow in the service of the Huns, but outwits his captors and steals some treasure to travel back home. The lasting legacy, though, of Valia is this kingdom, built upon the idea established by Alaric and fostered by Ethelwulf. The kingdom was based on the idea of what a Visigoth was, which is not the Goth. Tervingai or Gruthungai that we first learned about over 20 episodes ago. The idea that the Visigoths were united people under a common king, first Alaric, then Athelwulf, and finally Valia, with a lingua franca under Goth, but a quickly adaptable and melting pot type of culture that would welcome all types of people. Various groups, Germanic, Iranian, Greek, Roman, and various slaves from untold number of other peoples, had come under the Visigothic tent. They stood for a common cause, which was to find a way to better their station through various means, but primarily military means because of the circumstances of the age. This idea of a melting pot and non-homogeneous ethnography is actually much more common through history than what we typically think. In America, Australia, 
India, Peru, and various countries around the world today. They like to think that they are welcoming and accepting of cultures, but this idea goes back much further, and even further back than our Visigoths. The Roman story, like many ancient empires, is one of conquest, yes, but also of integration and assimilation. That is not unlike the melting pot theory toted by many a society today. Valia has certainly perpetuated this concept in a short reign and is responsible for the establishment of the Visigothic kingdom under this idea. As we quickly invited Valia into our story, we are saying goodbye to him to usher in the next Visigothic leader, the fifth reek of the Visigoths and the second king of the kingdom of the Visigoths or of Toulouse will be Theodoric or Theodorid. Theodorid will be one of the most famous of all Gothic leaders and will have a longer run in power than any of the previous reeks in our story. He will sit on his throne for over 30 years and see the expansion and stabilization of this kingdom of Visigoths, which is where we will pick up next time. So, some of the sources that I use for this week's episode include Goths and Romans 332-49 by Peter Heather, The Goths by Herwig Wolfram, The Fall of the Roman Empire by Peter Heather, Barbarians Within the Gates of Rome by Thomas Burns, Getica by Jordanus, On Federati Hospitalitis, which is always a mouthful to say, and The Settlement of the Goths at AD 418, a paper by Haggath Sidon. So if you like the show, please give a review on iTunes, Podbean, or the platform of your choice. Those reviews, as many of you already know, have a real impact on how many and who gets exposed to the podcast. Check out the History of the Barbarians Twitter accounts and Facebook pages for more information and resources about our barbarians. And there are several images associated with this week's episode. So check those pages out, like them, share them, uh, review them, appreciate all that. The podcast has over 20,000 downloads at this time, which the day of this recording is February 16th, 2020. So that's exciting milestone of Landmark. So I want to give you a big thank you for listening and getting us over that milestone. And I will see you next time.